Hello, and welcome to Before the Sermon or After. My name is Pastor Matt, and I'm glad to be here with you. This week, I thought I'd take a look at the reading from Luke. Here at Grace and Hope Lutheran Church, we have been following the narrative lectionary. And this year, the narrative lectionary is year three, and its focus gospel is Luke. This upcoming Sunday marks the first reading in Luke as we transition from reading Old Testament passages to the Gospel of Luke, which we'll read through Easter. And then after Easter, it switches to the Acts of the Apostles before ending with a couple of Sundays reading from Paul's letters, or at least one of the letters attributed to Paul. But since this week, begins the transition to the Gospel of Luke, I thought I would just take a few moments to discuss some of the things that I've sort of noticed about Luke. And in particular, I want to look at the place of women within Luke's Gospel. Part of this has to do with this week's reading is from the very beginning of Luke, from that first chapter, where we have Gabriel announcing to Mary that Jesus is to be born. We have Mary visiting Elizabeth, and then we have Mary's sort of response in her singing of the Magnificat. And so we're not even to the end of chapter 1, and we've already seen within Luke's gospel that women seemingly are going to play a fairly important role within the story itself. Unfortunately, that's not the way it kind of works out. The role of women is greatly reduced throughout the rest of Luke's gospel. And especially if we were to include the book of Acts, we see the woman's role in the book of Acts reduced even further. And so before beginning to talk about the place and the role of women within Luke's gospel, let's just take a step back, talk a little bit about the sources used to compose or write the Gospels. There are several theories out there. The most common theory, the one that is generally well accepted, is called a four-source hypothesis. And basically, this hypothesis begins with Mark. Mark is considered to be the earliest Gospel. It is also the one on which Matthew and Luke both use as one of their primary sources. So Mark really is sort of that, that beginning piece. Matthew and Luke also share a fair amount of material between them as well. That is very similar, if not identical. A source that is oftentimes just called Q. It is believed to have been largely kind of an oral source called Q. And so Matthew and Luke both use both Mark and Q in the telling of their gospel story. And then, of course, they have. And these oftentimes just get called M or L material. And in this case, L would be Luke's sources and M would be Matthew's sources. And so you're only going to find those either in the corresponding named uh, Gospels. But those are sources that don't seem to be shared or well-known between uh, those two particular writers. And in terms of John, it is not part of this particular tradition and has his own unique sources. And so what we do find in John is John using a different source. And in fact, the only miracle that appears in all four Gospels is the feeding of the 5,000. So John brings in a lot of different 
material that doesn't seem to come from the same common source as we see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The other thing to sort of note about Luke is that Luke didn't stop at the end of the gospel. He continued to write. Uh, The book of Acts is attributed to the same author as the gospel of Luke. And so when we talk about Luke, we'll oftentimes talk about either kind of Luke Acts, or we need to kind of take into account sort of both parts of the story that Luke is intending to tell. So now, kind of with that source background, let's take a look at the role women play within Luke's gospel. And one of the first things I think to note is that Luke does mention women quite often. There are about 42 passages in which women play a part in Luke's gospel. Do you want to give sort of credit where this statistic and the upcoming statistics come from? And that is from some of the work of Jane Schauberg and Sharon Ring. And so 42 times, in 42 passages, Luke mentions women. 23 of those passages are unique to Luke. So slightly over half of them are found only kind of in what we would say that L source, that source that seems to be part of Luke's gospel and not the others. So that does, I think, say something about the role of women in Luke. In this upcoming reading, having already seen that women play a very prominent role in both Elizabeth and in Mary. So it's not just that they are mentioned, but they are the central characters kind of moving the story forward. It would seem as though Luke intends to sort of emphasize the importance and the place of women within the early Christian movement. Now, when we take a closer look at this, we will find that that's not necessarily the case. Because here in Mary's Magnificat and in the words of Elizabeth, we find one of the few times in the entire Gospel of Luke when women have something to say, it is not either corrected by Jesus or one of the apostles. Instead, it becomes one of the few times in Luke's Gospel when something a woman says is used to advance our understanding of who God is. And so in many ways, we will see, even though Luke seems to present women more often than the others, that Luke, in fact, sort of presents a very stereotypical or untrustworthy view of women. You can see this very clearly in the fact that Luke leaves out the story in Mark 7 through 24 of the Syrophoenician woman, the woman who sort of challenges Jesus' concept of sort of Jewish identity. One of the few stories within the gospel where a woman challenges Jesus' view in both Mark and in Matthew, they help Jesus to see who he really is and who God is and what God's hopes and desires are for the world. That is a story that Luke leaves out entirely. We also see a very different picture of Mary and Martha within Luke. They are placed in a less sort of prominent and less powerful role in Luke. Then, and so we already are beginning to see that Luke is 
casting women kind of in a more traditional role. And when we get to the very end of Luke, we will see this come up once again. Mark, again, one of Luke's sources, ends the gospel with basically fear and trembling. The women have gone to the empty tomb. They have seen the empty tomb. They were addressed by the angel. And now they do not say anything to anyone, for they were afraid. And in so doing, I think the implied ending is that at some point, the women overcame their fears and began to speak about what they saw at that tomb. Otherwise, we wouldn't know of this, this story at all. And so there's that implicit challenge of women speaking up, of no longer being afraid to speak up and to say what they need to say about who God is and what God is doing in the world. Luke, on the other hand, really seems to kind of foster the opposite. Women are not a big part of that end. Yes, they still go down to the tombs, but it is a scene that is very quickly dominated by sort of the male disciples as opposed to the women. And which brings us to another point is that Luke never refers to women as being part of the apostles or disciples or anything close to sort of that understanding of followers of Jesus. And so we really do see, even though Luke refers to women more than some of the others, we see kind of a less prominent, less powerful, more traditional role assigned to the woman in Luke's gospel. And that picture of women and that image of women gets even worse if we consider the book of Acts, where Luke seems to have or at least takes a little bit more freedom in kind of shaping his sources. We see women taking a much less prominent role. The only woman who is mentioned both of Luke's gospel and in the book of Acts is Mary. And Mary only very briefly in the very beginning of the book of Acts that she is with the disciples as they go off into that upper room to figure out who that 12th disciple to replace Judah is going to be. It's noticeable that none of them would have been women. How prominent women were in the early Christian movement. Women in early Christianity were in positions of leadership. We see some of that in Paul's letters where he names women at the end who are playing a prominent role within that community. And so we have to sort of wonder why Luke would decrease the role of women within the gospel. And unfortunately, Luke never actually tells us why he does this. So we are left with that question kind of hanging as we simply don't have access to Luke's thoughts other than his writings. So what does that mean for us as 21st century modern readers of the Bible? Do we need to throw out the book of Luke because it doesn't conform with our views of women? Do we not see it as a witness to the word of God, which all of the Bible is supposed to be? I think the answer to all of those questions is no. We don't need to throw the book of Luke out. Yes, we can still see the book of Luke as a witness to the word of God, but I think it does have something to say with how we read the book of Luke. Instead, I think it indicates that we need a strategy when we read the Bible. 
especially when we read it as a witness to the Word of God. And one of the first things is that we should not read the Bible as being infallible or inerrant. That is a belief that essentially says that the Bible is without error. As Lutherans, we believe the Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. But it was inspired by the Holy Spirit through human authors. And all the messiness, all the bias, all the hatred, love, and limitations that it means to be human. And that is exactly what we see when we read in relationship to the women as portrayed in Luke. We see an author who is a product of his own time, his own biases, and his cultural understanding. And that, I think, brings us to the next point, which is context. Context is incredibly important, not just within the larger story of Luke's gospel, but also Luke's gospel within the larger story of the four gospels and in the larger story of the Bible itself. And even going beyond just context within the Bible itself, I think the historical, sociological, the cultural context is also incredibly important to place these stories into sort of a proper context may not mean that we're always going to get it right or always understand what it is in fact saying, but it is at least to understand that this gospel were not written for us as 21st century readers. They were written for a first century audience in the very early days of Christianity, in the first century Mediterranean world, a world that understood the way things work in a different way. Then third, I think we need to look for those unexpected moments, those places within a text where what is being said transcends the culture around them. And I think in the stories of Luke's opening chapters, we see those unexpected moments. We do not expect Mary to be the author of this great hymn about what God is doing in the world, what God has already done in the world, and what God is about to do in the world. We also see the same thing in Elizabeth, who was the first to recognize that the child within Mary is, in fact, the Son of God. These are the kinds of unexpected moments, the things that go against our very understanding of our culture and our society, and in this case, things that went against Luke's understanding and cultural and biases. And then the last thing, and this in some ways is the hardest one to grasp. It is to simply to remember that it is still the living word of God and not a dead word. We oftentimes, I think, view the Bible as being the final revelation of God's will for all of humanity and creation. And that's simply not the case. Because if we turn the Bible into the final revelation of everything God wanted us to know, then in fact it is no longer a living word, but a dead word, one that died thousands of years ago. And so just because we have the Bible doesn't mean that God's revelations have stopped. We as human beings have come to understand the creation in ways that we could 
that just simply could not have been imagined in that first century world. That new understanding can lead to new understandings about what God is doing in our world as well. And at least when it comes to gender equality, that means seeing things the way God intended from the very beginning. Thank you for listening this week. I hope you will join us again on a future episode of Before the Sermon or After.